I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening and happy Thanksgiving. As you enjoy dinner and time with your family and friends, we're pulling from the archives my conversation with Chris Kimball, host of Milk Street, a food and cooking show that can be seen on KVCR-TV Sundays at noon. Chris talks about the concept of his cookbook, The New Rules, Recipes That Will Change the Way You Cook, and how observing cooking techniques from around the world has changed his perspective on the rules of the kitchen. He'll discuss what everyone should have in their kitchen and how to spice up our food. And I'll ask a question about eggs that Chris says is the most asked food question. At the time of our interview, his new cookbook was The New Rules. Now, Chris's newest cookbook is Cook What You Have, Make a Meal Out of Almost Anything. Also on the show, we'll hear from a couple of the KVCR radio staff who share a bit about their traditions, recipes, and what they're thankful for. But first up, it's my conversation with the host of the public television series, Milk Street, Chris Kimball. Chris has had a show on KVCR since 2001. Hi, Chris, and welcome back to Lifestyles. My pleasure. Thank you. So you have so much cooking in your world, including your TV show, radio show, magazine, cooking school. And I think you put out a new cookbook just about every year. This year's new cookbook is Milk Street, the rules, recipes that will change the way you cook. We'll talk about the cookbook in just a bit, but first, I want to talk about Milk Street. You get out of the kitchen, literally. What locations and cooks did you visit in the new season? Can you share that? Sure. Uh, We were in Beirut. We were in Paris. We were in Oaxaca. We were in Greece. uh, We were in Spain. I think we're in Taipei. uh, So we were in Northern Africa. What we really try to do is go visit cooks around the world, not to talk about what the fancy restaurants are or even what the you know classic recipes are, but to get a sense of how people really cook now. Mm. I think traditionally when people travel for food, it was sort of the usual suspects, you know. But when you cook with people around the world now, their kitchens don't look that different than ours do. Um, <laughs> they're adapting things from around the world. So we want to get a really good sense of what's actually going on. You do travel, as you just indicated, some of the places that you went this time. What would you say every cook or every kitchen should have in their kitchen, either as a staple for maybe seasoning or as a tool, or is there any one thing that everybody should have? A knife and a pot and a source of heat, maybe, would be really good. (laughs) Um, I, I, I think what's interesting to me is that people have pantries and that Every culture cooks out of the pantry, you know. Um, I was just in Bologna last week, and, you know, their pantry has, of course, you know, prosciutto and parmesan. But, Mm. um, you know, other people would have, you know, in the Middle East would have this incredible spice pantry, or they would have, you know, pomegranate molasses, or they would have tahini. So the the whole idea of of having, it doesn't have to be large, but have a carefully chosen pantry Mm. and spend 100 bucks on ingredients it makes cooking so much easier than if you have to, you know, sort of start from scratch every time you walk in the kitchen. Yeah. Right, which would be a frustration for me. Now, I'm not a good cook, and I don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen, but I know there's certain seasonings that I want in my pantry at all times because those are always my go-to. But I'm sure people that have a bit more flavor for cooking have uh, certain 
seasonings or certain things that they want in their pantry that they include in their dish? Yeah, it, you know, it's not like you have to have 20 spices, but, you know, I grew up in a household that had cinnamon, nutmeg, salt, and pepper. <laughs> you know, we didn't have cumin or coriander or paprika. Um, I, I think the other thing that's interesting is if you buy a quality version of a standard ingredient like soy sauce, you right, know? Yeah. Um, my, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I, I make rice uh very often, and I put this light show you soy sauce on it, um, and he loves it, you know, and it's it's because the quality of the sauce is so good, um, or buy vinegar, you know, buy, buy a really good vinegar, or, mm. you know, buy a few things where you're getting a, a very high-quality version of a common supermarket product. Uh, that That's a game-changer, because it'll really change, you know, rice vinegar that's really good. Mm. Um, a sherry vinegar that's really good. You, you don't have to be a better cook. You're just using a better ingredient. So two of the things that you just mentioned are in my staples, and that is soy sauce, because I love cooking with soy sauce, and cumin. I have to have caminos in my, I, I season my ground beef with that every time. Yep. I don't know how to make my tacos or anything with ground beef without it. So those are my common well, ones. Well, there are things to think about. I mean, do you have whole cumin and ground or... Do you toast the whole cumin before you use it? Very often in cooking, like with a curry in India, you might start with a whole spice and Mm. then later on add the ground spice. So just whole versus ground uh, makes a big difference. I mean, if you you take whole cumin, toast it in a little skillet for two or three minutes, uh, and then grind it yourself in a little coffee grinder, or you can use a mortar and pestle, that can be a game changer because you get two or three times the flavor you would out of a pre-ground cumin that's been sitting in your spice rack for a while. So even with sort of common ingredients, uh, whole versus ground is very helpful. Can you teach an old dog new tricks, or in this case, a seasoned cook new tricks? Well, I'm an old dog, so... And I, Hence <laughs> and the I've question. I've been teaching myself new tricks <laughs> for a few years now. So I guess I'm a good example. I, I'm the poster child for old dogs and new tricks. You know, I grew up with New England cooking. I, my whole career was based upon American cooking, and by that I mean sort of Northern European-style cooking, even though obviously we have 100 immigrant cuisines here. Sure. Um, and I've completely changed my approach. You know, that that style of cooking was melting pot cooking, which, you know, French cooking essentially is start with some good ingredients and cook them slowly until they meld together, right, mm. like a, a beef bourguignon. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the world tends to keep the individual flavors and textures intact. And so it's the opposite. It's let's cook fairly quickly, but we want each of the spices to remain vibrant. We want each of the ingredients in the dish to still be there for you. So it's almost the opposite way of thinking about cooking. When you think about contrast as the main theme of cooking as opposed to a rich depth of a single flavor, like a beef bourguignon, it really opens up the kitchen to you because time is no longer the essential element. It's combining ingredients in an interesting way. For example, you know, a sort of a chili flakes on watermelon is a good example, right, with salt. Huh. Uh, that's just a classic combination you can find. And, and chili and watermelon go together great, and it's, you know, it takes you two seconds to do that. So, And you can make a salad out of that if you like as well. So. Right. 
that's a different way of thinking, and old dogs can, yeah, can figure <laughs> that out, like me. I'm speaking with public television host Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street. Okay, so let's talk about your newest cookbook, New Rules, Recipes That Will Change the Way You Cook. You know, last time we spoke, I had indicated that I thought the Internet would take cookbooks and knock them out of, out of business. And you eloquently explained why it didn't. I wonder, you know, if you would share that again, why cookbooks are still standing up to recipes on the Internet. Well, first of all, it's, it's a happy conclusion. What you said is correct. Cookbooks have been doing very well. Uh, and, and there are two reasons. One is cooking out of ink on paper is actually very practical for obvious reasons. Cooking out of a screen is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Secondly, I think there's a romance, uh, and I think this is where the printed page is headed, there's a romance and a tactile quality to ink on paper that gives you a flavor, no pun intended, but gives you the flavor <laughs> of a person in a place and a recipe you don't get online. And mm. I think it, it's, it makes it much more appealing. I mean, if you think also about reading books, books also, you know, the uh, digital books have basically died. They were down 20-something percent last year. Oh, good. <laughs> reading off a book off a screen is just not as pleasant as reading off paper. So paper in the kitchen is still nice. And also, if you think about it, accessing recipes in a book is very quick and easy to do. You can right. turn to a page. Right. Or a recipe says, you know, use the pie pastry on page 387. Well, good luck finding that pie pastry recipe online or in a digital book. It's, it's much easier to have it all at your fingertips. So it's romantic. Uh, it's practical. And the access to the data is actually better than with a mouse or on your phone. Well, I'm old school, so I like turning pages. I like reading books in my, you know, in bed and turning pages and going back and marking and highlighting. And you can't do that, or I don't take the time the other way. So I like turning pages. So let's talk about this cookbook. What are the new rules or what's included in this cookbook that you want people to know about? Well, it's called The New Rules, and the notion is to isolate, I think, 75 fundamental rules of cooking hmm. that um, I should just back up and say, you know, Milk Street isn't, we're not inventing things here. We're learning from people around the world. So as we travel and someone says, you know, water is a really great ingredient instead of stock, and, and you notice <laughs> that every place in the world uses water as a key ingredient, well, how to use water is actually a rule. You know, that's, that's something to think about. Or uh, if you go to Italy, they always, almost always finish their, their pasta in a skillet with a sauce. And so you undercook the pasta, you finish it in the skillet with a sauce. It, you know, it sucks up the sauce and flavors the pasta. So mm. there are things we're trying to come up with, which are basic foundation approaches to things that once you get that little kernel, um, it helps you go in the kitchen and be a better cook. These are things that work across hundreds of recipes or thousands, you can transpose them and they sort of build the foundation for a new way of cooking. So those, that's what we call a new rule. So they're kind of old rules that have been around and we're enforcing them or presenting them again that maybe people might have forgotten. Is that fair? No, we're, we're trying to... Uh, these are rules, I would say, that are beyond the classic Northern European okay. mastering the art of French cooking approach. So, for example, if you make a stew... 
every stew recipe I've ever read until the last few years would say, you know, saute the meat in batches, right? Mm-hmm. Step one. Okay. C- create a fond at the bottom of the pan. But most stews around the world, they never saute the meat. Well, the reason is you can brown meat in an oven while you're cooking it without doing it on top of the stove if you take the top off. Secondly, um, they have other flavors in the stews, and they don't want the meat to overpower those other flavors. So they, they don't want, you know, Coles to Newcastle. They don't want a rich fond and, and three pounds of meat you know, at the same time. They might use a pound or two of meat, and then they have the coriander, or they have the lemongrass, or they have the ginger, or they have the whatever, the, the leeks or the, the scallions. And the meat is just part of a, of a complex whole, and so sautéing the meat is, is going to unbalance the recipe. So you don't have to sauté meat for stew. Hmm. All right. And that's a very different approach than everything I was taught going back to the 60s, which is that's always your first step, right, when you make a stew is you sauté the meat in batches. So you can teach an old dog new tricks. Well, Clearly. I'm not sure my wife would agree with that, but I think <laughs> in, at least in the culinary arts, I think that's probably probably. Fair statement, yeah. We need to pause for a few minutes so I can run into the kitchen and grab some dessert. But when we return, I'll continue my conversation with radio and TV personality, author, and the host of Milk Street, Chris Kimball. You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. If you're just joining us, my guest is Chris Kimball, host of Milk Street a food and cooking show that can be seen on KVCR-TV. He's the author of many books that will change the way you cook with easy recipes from around the world. Our interview was recorded in 2019, but I felt it was a show worth repeating on a food consumption holiday. So, Chris, what I did this time is I wanted to ask some of our listeners here at KVCR if they could interview you, what questions they would ask you. Are you game for that? Sure. Okay. But first, I'm going to ask you my question. And remember, I indicated I am not that good in the kitchen. I know how to make seven items, so that's good for seven days a week. I'm covered, and my husband is willing to eat them in rotation. I'm not creative, and I don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. So here's my first one. One of the things I always take to barbecues or whatever is deviled eggs. I can make really good deviled eggs. But here's my problem. What's the secret to boiling an egg so that making the peeling off the shell flawless you know that is the number one question in the culinary really? world in fact i think kenji <laughs> lopez alt you know who wrote um, uh, the food lab uh, just did a piece recently about testing 600 eggs there've been I've, I've tried a million things new eggs old eggs it's hard to tell which is which i still find that putting them into very cold ice water mm. for a minute seems to help, but if you peel them right away. But I've tried everything, and I don't have a consistent answer to that. I think some eggs, because of the chemistry of the egg and the age of the egg, there's going to be more sticking in there. And also, mm. I would say don't overboil the egg. Put it in cold water, turn the heat on, comes up to a boil, take it off the heat, put the top on, time it 10 minutes, and you're done. Okay, so um, I'm going to tell you how I boil my eggs, and then you're going to go, Lillian, what are you thinking? As will others that are listening. So I put them all in the pan. I usually boil 12 to 18 at a time, and I boil it for 24 to 5 minutes. 
What? I know, I know. But let me tell you, I've been testing this. I've tried lesser time and longer time. I know I'm overboiling the eggs, but I put it in cold water and it peels off flawlessly. The times that I haven't done this, it's that taking off piece by piece by piece. And then I'm so frustrated and my deviled eggs look like they don't look appealing. And I can only give them to my husband. Don't you get green yolks? No. They're really? yellow oaks, yeah. And then when I mix it in with the mayonnaise and the mustard and the uh, pickle juice, they look beautiful and they taste great. And so I was really curious about that question. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you should immediately text Kenji Uh-oh. and tell him like he's wrong. You just just cook him for half an hour. Well, you know, maybe that's um, maybe that's worth testing. We'll give it a shot. Okay. Well, here's Lisa's question. She says, "What kind of recipes do you feature in your cookbook?" More specifically, do you address the rising need for vegan and gluten-free options in your cookbook? Yeah, I mean, look, most of the world doesn't eat a lot of meat traditionally Mm because it was expensive. So meat was more of a flavoring. And number two, if you think about cooking vegetables, I would not put Northern Europe on the top of the list or America for that matter, traditionally in terms of preparing vegetables. Most of the other places in the world do a great job of that. So I would say that's the number one most called for type of recipe at Milk Street or, or, you know, cooking vegetables. Hmm. I'm not a fan of making things gluten-free by artificially transforming a regular gluten recipe to a gluten-free recipe, you know, with rice flour and all this stuff, cornstarch. I just think that's kind of silly. I think there are most cultures around the world have things that are just gluten-free, like there's a Spanish almond cake we do, which has no regular flour in it, Mm. Uh, and that's gluten-free. So there's plenty of gluten-free things in here, and there are plenty of vegetables and grains, and those are just naturally healthy and naturally, you know, vegan. So, yeah. Her other question was, what was your motivation to create the cookbook? But I think you, you kind of explained that when we were talking about the rules, so I think we've answered that. I have one more yeah. question for you. It's from Allison, and she says she's been a long television viewer watching your shows. On your previous series, you were sensitive to spicy and hot foods. On Milk huh. Street, you seem to tolerate more spicy and hot foods. What changed? My age. Um <laughs> Do you, do, you, do you get? Are you less sensitive as you get older? Uh, no, I, you know what it is. I'll tell you what. Okay. You know my my experience with spiciness up until a few years ago was heat, and then I realized that I was in Oaxaca and I realized that all the chilies have flavor. They have different flavors. They're fruity. They're right. fruits, right? Okay. So I started thinking about spices in terms of adding flavor, not just heat. And when you do it that way, it just enhances the range of possibilities in cooking. So I don't like heat. I still don't like heat for the sake of heat, but I do like uh, spicy foods that, earth of pepper, for example, uh, or wajillo chilies, you know, they're very fruity um, and they add a lot to a dish. So I, I think of spice as being a flavor, not just heat. And that's why, it's not that I'm more tolerant, it's just I've, I've found a different way of thinking about it. Nice. Okay, so before I let you go, I wanted to get an update on your cooking school there in Boston on Milk Street, hence the name of your series. Can you share a story or two of maybe some of the students that have come through your school? I remember last time, I think you, it was with the Boys and Girls Club or some yep. other nonprofits there, that maybe you've seen a difference or maybe they shared or learned something that 
maybe made a change in their world. Do you have any stories at the top of your head amongst all the stuff that might be going on? Well, in your head? yeah, I think with the um, girls club we bring in, uh, we do we do some mentoring series, and uh, they don't just come in to cook; they come in to learn mentoring. Mm-hmm. And cooking is a very good way of teaching people that. I think yes, because you're teaching people and helping them. I, I think the thing that is is transformative about this, whether it's a 15-year-old or 50-year-old or an 80-year-old, is when you give them, say, look, you can do it this way or that way or that way, and we're going to completely change the dish based upon some simple changes. And then they start to understand why recipes work and how they work. And whether you're a kid, you know, or an adult, that moment when you say, oh, you know, we, we tried it this way, then we did one little thing differently, and now it's a totally different experience. And, and two, that you bring in a 15 or 16-year-old, and they and they do something, and they work, and they did it with their hands. I mm. mean, that's the thing for me, right. is you, t- you take somebody who's never really done anything with their hands. You know, we used to, you know, when I was young. Yes. Uh, people too. don't have hammers and nails, and they don't fix their cars, and they, pe- people aren't sewing or or needlework or whatever it is. But cooking is still something you can do with your hands. And when you see these kids come in and and they're given a knife and they're given, you know, a cabbage and they're given something to do and they turn out something and they did it. Yeah. For some of these kids, it's the first time in their life where they've really done something with their hands that was successful. And you can see how it changes their view of themselves. And that's why cooking for me, I think, is so important because it's about... It's about feeling good about what you can accomplish yourself, uh, and it's just a great, great feeling. I also think that sometimes when kids that maybe aren't doing as well academically, but when they get in the kitchen yep. and they're reading the recipe, doing the math, following the instructions from beginning to yep. end, it's a completion, and they did it, and they didn't know all the skills that they actually used from their brain to make it happen. I think that's right, and I think how many opportunities do you have to take on a project and do it and then see the result immediately, right? Right, yeah. Because so few things we do now have an immediate outcome and can be tasted and measured and appreciated right away. Right. And we're so far away from the world I grew up in, which uh, actually for part of the year didn't even have running water. Um, You know, people did things with their hands all the time because they had no choice. Right. Um, And so people gained self-reliance, and I think now... People are, are very insecure because they they never have an opportunity to test what they can do. They're never asked to to do something on their own, um, other than maybe you know turn their Wi-Fi on. Exactly, um, I or, knew you were going to say that. You know, look, we we all cook, and so there's always so much to share with people because the the real world of cooking is so much like what's going on in your home kitchen all the time. Uh, there is really isn't that much difference, and so after 40 or whatever years I've been in the food world, the common ground between what we do here and what you do in your kitchen is, is great. And I like to bring people into that. And, and so we can share a lot because the problems you have in your kitchen are exactly the same problems we have here, which I think makes people feel good about what they do. Christopher Kimball is the host of Milk Street, among many other entrepreneurial projects that he has going, and he shows no signs of slowing down. Chris, thanks so much for your time. It's been great speaking with you again. Uh, It's a pleasure for an old dog to be on a show. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. Take care. Take care. 
Milk Street can be seen on KVCR-TV, Sundays at noon. To learn more about Chris Kimball, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles and click on today's show. Thanksgiving is a time to spend with friends and family and a time to reflect on what we're thankful for. KVCR's Rick Dulock shares his plans for Thanksgiving and reveals his important role during this special day. I love Thanksgiving because it's a special time when families and those we call family gather together and launch the holiday season. And since my brother-in-law is a high school football coach in Elk Grove, California, and one who is often in CIF playoffs on Thanksgiving weekend, my wife and kids and I often rendezvous just south of Sacramento for the feasting and fun. Once there, we prepare to fill in the gaps around the turkey and what my sister-in-law has already planned for dinner with things like green bean casserole, homemade cranberry sauce, and creative veggie dishes. My job, in my humble opinion, is by far the most important, and it happens to be one that does not require my attention until the rest of the cooking is completely done. I make the gravy. Now, gravy making is an art handed down to me by my mother who makes the best gravy on the planet. It only requires turkey drippings, flour, water, salt, pepper, and know-how. Meet us in Elk Grove for Thanksgiving sometime where all are welcome, and I'll show you how it's done. I'm Rick Dulock. Many times we have long-standing traditions, but something happens and our traditions change. For over 30 years, our family celebrated Thanksgiving at my mother-in-law's home. Glenna was the matriarch of the family. She organized, prepared, cooked, and told us non-cookers what to bring. She always made my favorite dessert, and no, it's not pumpkin pie. We lost Glenna just prior to the pandemic, and we are now starting new traditions. So now my daughter's home is where we gather, and my son-in-law makes my favorite dessert. I'm liking the new tradition because I'm still not cooking in the kitchen, just the way I like it. Do you have a holiday tradition? We'd love for you to share it with us as part of our Your Story, Your Station project. Send your tradition to us with at least four photos to visually support your story. Email us at kvcroutreach at kvcr.org. Your story might just be featured on KVCR-TV, on our website, or on social media during the month of December. I'm looking forward to seeing what your traditions are. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, visit our website at kvcinews.org slash lifestyles. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us at 919Lifestyles and search for Lifestyles with Lillian on Instagram. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharina Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, Natasha Coles, and executive producer Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Happy Thanksgiving and bye for now. Yeah, the simple.